If you've got your Bibles this morning, I'd love to just invite you to open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12, and before we do anything, I'm just going to pray, because I need help this morning, and well, all of us need help, don't we? That's, so I'm going to ask the Lord for that. <laughs> thank you so much, Lord, that we can gather together as your people today, and we thank you so much for your word, Lord God, and we just, as we open it up, Lord, we come with humility and reverence before you, Lord God, and Lord, this morning, we want to receive your word. We open up our hearts, God. We thank you that your word is truth and it is to our souls what food is to our bodies, Lord God. Thank you that it strengthens and nourishes us, Lord God, and feeds us. And Lord, this morning as well, we want to grab hold of and apply your word in our lives, Lord. We trust your word and we want to act on it, Lord. We don't just want to hear it and forget about it. We want to hear it and apply it in our lives, Lord God so that we would see your power released in our lives, Lord God. So Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to understand, I pray. And Lord, I I really ask that your word would be opened up with clarity to us this morning, God. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And I want to just start with this question for us to ponder on this morning, to ponder and mull over, whether it's here, whether it's later on as you go from here or the coming week. What is the theme of your life what is the theme of your life and by that I don't mean you know you're having a a bad day and you miss out on that car park that you're hoping for or you spilled a little bit of your lunch on your top or something and you think oh it's the story of my life it's the story of my life a bad day doesn't make a bad life that's not what I'm talking about the theme of your life what is the theme of your life what I mean by that is if we think about say a book or a movie or a song, or some art, when we think about the theme of something like that, the theme is that central recurring idea. The underlying message, the thing that everything should point towards, the thing that everything should build towards, should move and head towards. That's what the theme is. If you've got a good piece of literature, or art, or a movie, it's clear, isn't it? not confused or conflicted. And I want to suggest this morning that the theme of our lives as Christians should be Jesus. The theme of our life, the the underlying message, everything in our life should point and be about Jesus. Does everything about our lives point towards him? 
Is everything about him, does everything in our lives reflect him? In the way that we live, in our attitudes, in the way that we speak, and in the message that we hold out and proclaim. I love the writings of the Apostle Paul. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road to totally transform his life because what he wrote throughout the New Testament, you know, is just incredible. And I love how he writes that he always presents doctrine and theological truth so well. But then he also balances that doctrine he presents and expounds on in his writings with the practical outworking of what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus. He doesn't just kind of pour out all this deep theological truth and just go, there you go, figure it out. He actually lays out the practical outworking, what that looks like for us and how we're to live. And you know, he, he didn't just kind of give the message and not live it. He was one who lived the message that he proclaimed and preached, didn't he? It says in the next chapter of Philippians, you know, I count everything as a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. To me, that speaks of Paul was someone who the theme of his life was Jesus. Everything about him, everything his life pointed towards. It says he poured out his life as a drink offering, he writes. Everything about his life was, was about Jesus and ensuring that as many people as possible could hear the wonderful message of salvation. So it's nice to hear and think about this concept of the theme of our life being Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's a nice thing to think about. But how is it outworked in our lives? What does it look like to have the theme of our lives all about Jesus? How do we do it? And, and I believe that there's a practical outworking of that in our lives. It's something that we work out as we journey in this journey of salvation. And uh, there's some keys, I believe, in this passage this morning for us that I just want to bring out in terms of the practical outworking of what that looks like for the theme of our lives to be all about Jesus. And as that happens, the theme of our lives won't be about us, about me, as we looked at a little bit last time that I, I preached about humility. The theme of our lives won't be compromise or conflicted it won't be the self-seeking pleasures or or other things but it will be increasingly jesus keeping the main thing the main thing so three things i want to bring out first of all we are called to work out we are called to work out let me ask you this morning who likes working out whether it's in the gym or in Boot camps that I know some of us partake of, whether it's physical activity. Who likes working out? I see a few nods. A few hands are going up. That's good to see. There is a purpose, isn't there, in working out in a physical sense. It's to grow stronger. It's to become fitter, healthier. I think there's great value in that in our lives. But there's also a purpose in working out in a spiritual setting isn't there and uh, I want to just um, unpack that a little bit this morning what it means to work out our salvation because I think we hear this word work and as Christians we can often kind of be a little bit afraid of it we can dismiss this word work we can 
gloss over what it actually means in our lives to work out our salvation. You know, because we, th- we remember passages like Ephesians 2. Wonderful passage on all that God has done. And it says, it's by grace that we've been saved. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works. So absolutely, I hold fast to that with all my heart. It's, it's not by works that we're saved. It's by the grace of God through faith. So we're not saved by our works. And I want to make that clear this morning when I'm talking about working out our salvation. I'm not saying that it's, it's that somehow our works and our effort and our striving can attain to salvation. Are we, uh, am I clear on that this morning? Okay. Okay, good. I want to make that clear. But we're saved unto good works. Because it goes on to say in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says that we're his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which he has prepared for us to do. The outworking of our salvation is what I believe that's referring to. And we can't dismiss the outworking of our salvation in our day-to-day lives. Because Paul clearly instructs here in Philippians 2, which we've read this morning, to work out our salvation. And he often writes, if you read throughout his writings in the New Testament, in a similar vein. You know, he says things like, you know, I do not, I do not uh, run aimlessly, but I run in such a way as to get the prize. He says, you know, forgetting what is behind, I press on to what is ahead to, to, to grab hold of that which Christ took hold of me. There's that sense of working out our salvation. And working out our salvation is this picture of how we live out this glorious salvation that the Lord has given to us. This faith that we have in Christ. You know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that in response to all that Jesus has done, He gave up His life on the cross. He made a way for us to have relationship restored with the Father. How could we not respond with our lives to live for Him? to live for His glory, to come into all that He has for us. I'm, I'm a believer firmly with all my heart that it has to have an impact on the way that we live. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. And I think that Andrew put it so well last week when he used that illustration of a fireplace. You know, they have a, a lovely fireplace in their house, but there's work involved in getting the benefits of the fireplace, isn't there? He was sharing last week about how he's got a, you know, find the wood he's got to dry it out he's got to light the fire he has to stoke the fire he has to keep it burning there's work involved but then you get the benefit of a warm house and the open flame but and that compared with the you know the kind of faux fire you know the the kind of fake fireplaces they look great they look nice i've got nothing against them the gas ones you know but you can just press a button and it's all done for you There's nothing wrong with that, but so often we can live like that, can't we? We want the heat. We want the benefit of the fire, but we just want to push the button and have everything done for us. And unfortunately, this is how we can live as Christians. We just want want to walk in freedom. We want to walk in the fullness of all that God has for us. We just kind of want to press that button and circumvent that process of, you know, Seeing that character being developed in our lives. Seeing steadfast being developed. Growing in in prayer. Growing in our understanding 
and knowledge and revelation of the word and of who God is. And, you know, I don't actually believe that's how we're called to live as Christians. As followers of Jesus who gave everything for us so that we might have life. And so working out our salvation means how saved people live out their salvation. Our cooperation, if you like, with God. And this word that Paul uses for work out, working out our salvation, carries with it the idea of bringing to completion. It's like he's saying, don't just stop halfway. Don't just stop halfway. Don't, don't just kind of, you know, save wonderful, but don't just stop there. Continue to press in and pursue the Lord so that salvation and God's work in you is brought to completion. Go on until the work of salvation is fully wrought out in you. Because the goal of our salvation is to become more and more like Jesus. In all things, we're to grow up into the head who is Christ. Away from a place of immaturity to maturity in Him. The process of working out our salvation helps us to get there. It impacts the theme of our lives so that the theme of our lives is all about Jesus. The Amplified Bible puts it this way when it's talking about work out your salvation. It says, cultivate, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity. Actively pursue spiritual maturity. And one of the concerns I have in this day and age that we live and in the church is this thing that that seems to be creeping in more and more. Taking truths, yeah, wonderful truths of God, but perhaps distorting them a little bit, perhaps emphasizing certain aspects in the wrong way. Like grace, hyper grace, you know, it's all about grace, or it's all about love, or it's all about God's mercy, which are wonderful things, and I'm all for those things. The grace of God, the love of God. I want to know and experience that more and more in my life. But it's the distortion of those things at the expense of our response and our personal responsibility in pursuing spiritual maturity. This idea of God will do everything for me, I don't need to worry. If you've seen The Lion King, the Hakuna Matata mentality, you know, Hakuna Matata means no worries. I don't think anyone's watched that movie. That kind of fell flat. Sorry, I'm in the... uh, in that stage with my two little boys, not that they've watched it, but they love that song. So often we'll bring up the little movie clip of Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. No worries, no cares, no responsibilities. And if we're not careful, if we're in that place of, oh, well, God's going to do it all, and not recognizing the importance and the significance of actively pursuing all that God has for us, actively pursuing spiritual maturity, it will lead to a place of complacency or of spiritual laziness. It will lead to a place of slipping into, you know, this whole thing. Oh, well, I'm not really going to press in into prayer because I don't want to put in too much effort. I don't really want to fight that habitual sin that's there in my life because it's all grace anyway. Does this make sense this morning? Okay. And it actually, this kind of mentality will lead us to a place where the enemy actually loves for all followers of Jesus to be in. This place of being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus and in the kingdom. 
In 2 Peter 1, it says, Make every effort to add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to your self-control steadfastness, to your steadfastness godliness, to godliness brotherly affection, to brotherly affection love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing in your life, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved not to just sit around and do nothing, thinking that somehow God will do everything for us, but we are saved for a purpose. We're saved to mature and become more like Jesus so that the theme of our lives would be all about Him, so that we would bring glory to Him and bear much fruit for His glory, and so that we would point others towards Him. That we would be authentic followers of Jesus. Not a fire pit pretending to be a bonfire, as we saw on Friday night. <laughs> you know, I, I love reading about the, the heroes of the faith. I love whether it's in Scripture, like Paul's, Peter, the John, as we've been focusing on uh, this year. But also throughout history, you know, these incredible men and women of God who over the last, well, a few hundred years, have really given their lives to pursue Him, pursue revival, and that generation of people would come to know the Lord. The Jonathan Edwards, the John Wesleys, the Finneys, the Spurgeons, those kind of people. And if you have the time in your week to week, make, do a bit of research on them. Read some of their quotes, read some of their works, their writings. I guarantee you it will encourage you, it will challenge you, it will convict you. It will inspire you just to see how they lived their lives. And I just love reading about what made them tick. What was the manner of their lives? Why they were so effective in prayer? Why they were so effective in their preaching? In their ministry? All those, all those things. And even this week, just reading and watching some things as well. They've just been so inspired and challenged and convicted. The theme of the, their lives was Jesus. Everything about them pointed towards Him. They lived to know Him and make Him known. There was not a hint of spiritual laziness. There was not a hint of absolving their personal responsibility in pursuing God. They toiled and they strived to seek God, to see their generations come alive and know Jesus, to see hearts awaken to the Lord. They knew what it was to work out their salvation. And you know that I was reading this week about James who wrote the letter of James further on in the New Testament. He was known as uh, old camel knees because when he died, his knees were so calloused from all the hours he spent in prayer that they looked like the knees of a camel. Well, there's stories of like John Wesley and others I was reading about this week who on the floorboards in their house where they knelt to pray, there was grooves in the floorboards because of their devotion and wanting to seek the Lord and, and, and really pray. And uh, I don't know about you, but that's, that's so inspiring, but so challenging. And uh, when I get to the end of my life, I'm hoping and praying for good knees, but I don't mind if they're a little bit calloused and worn from kneeling before the Lord, seeking Him in prayer.
I don't mind if I've got to change a little bit of carpet or put new tiles or floorboards down at home because of being kneeling in prayer before the Lord. In their lives, there was this aspect of working out their salvation with fear and trembling, as the scripture says. This sense of the reverence and the awe of God and living out their salvation as a result of that. You know, we're not called to live out our lives casually or lightly, to dabble in a bit of the things of God, to dabble in a bit of the things of the world. No, we're called to live out our lives as people who know what it means to stand in awe of the living God and to walk and live our lives in humility before Him. And you know, as we're talking about working out our salvation this morning, there's a key to doing this well. And it's found in this promise in verse 13, that God works in us to will and to work for His good pleasure. As we actively pursue, as we do all that we can, He is working in us to empower us, to enable us, to strengthen us. We're indeed to work out our salvation, for it takes the willing and the doing. But we are able to do that because God himself is working in us and among us. And the word used here for God who works in you, this particular phrase, it does not mean that he is doing it for us, but that God supplies the necessary empowering to be able to work out our salvation. And so that's the key difference for us to remember this morning. Because it's easy to kind of hear a message like this, perhaps, or read a passage and think, well, there's two sides of the coin, isn't there? Either we go, okay, I've got to work harder, I've got to try harder, I've got to strive harder. That's not my heart at all this morning. Or we can go the other extreme, as I've already talked about. Well, I'm not even going to put in any effort in working out this salvation. You know that famous passage that We can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. What a wonderful promise that is. That he strengthens and enables us, but there is still the exerting of the strength that he provides to us. Let me just give a couple of examples of what I'm trying to to get at this morning. If If you want to grow in your prayer life, for example, you want to go deeper in prayer, you want your prayers to not just be, you know, repetitive prayers you, you want them to have effect you want them to have an impact you want them to you want to know how to pray it's this place that i'm finding myself in more and more at the moment lord teach me to pray i want to go deeper in prayer and you know of course god is right there he's probably put that desire in you to go in your prayer life drawing you deeper in prayer he's right there working in you to will that and to desire that but to grow in our prayer lives there comes a point where we actually need to pray. It might feel awkward. It might feel forced as we learn to exert the strength that He provides. But as we pray, He provides the enabling power, the impetus, the energy, if you like, to be able to do that. Or it's the same with growing in our revelation and understanding of the Word of God. What a wonderful thing, a wonderful desire to to want to grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word. And again, God is right there, putting that desire there, willing us to act. He desires to open up the riches and the treasure in Scripture. However, and unfortunately, you can't just kind of slip it under your pillow at night and sleep on it, and all of a sudden we've had this download of thousands of pages. 
doesn't, doesn't work like that, does it? At some point, we need to open it up and read it and allow God to bring that revelation. Allow Him to work in us. But there's that part of us actually reading and partaking of that. So we work out our salvation not to earn or to gain salvation. Not to somehow attain to being more saved. Not to earn His approval. But I believe this process of working out is because we have been saved. In response to all that God has done for us. So that the theme of our lives, what our lives are all about, what they display and point to, is in fact Jesus. And there's another aspect of walking out our salvation. Point number two, that was a long point, but I guarantee the next two are a lot shorter. That also has an impact on the theme of our lives. So number two this morning. Number one, we are called to work out our salvation. Number two, we are called to put aside grumbling and disputing. Grumbling and disputing. And I don't know about you, but I read this verse and it just kind of hits home right there. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. And it's an interesting kind of change in tact. You think he's, he's talking about working out our salvation. God is working in us. Wonderful. And then he goes on to talk about do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing. But actually, I, I, I think that this command is so contrary to natural, the natural human tendency that it kind of flows on nicely from it's God who works in you because we need His help. We need His divine empowerment to be able to put aside grumbling and disputing and complaining. Because grumbling and disputing, where that's a thing in our lives, a dominant thing in our lives, it's precisely the opposite of the Christ-like attitude. And it's interesting, last time I preached on this whole idea of humility, having the Lord in His rightful place, considering others more significant than ourselves. But in verse 3 of Philippians 2, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, from that self-centered pursuit. And here it says, Do all things, what? Without grumbling and complaining. Do all things. And this, this particular reference here is a direct reference to the Old Testament, to the Israelites grumbling and complaining in the wilderness. And there's so many references throughout the Old Testament, Exodus, Numbers, well, and beyond, De Deuteronomy, all those places where we can see that the people of Israel would grumble and complain and dispute and murmur, whether it was against Moses, whether it was against God himself, whether it was the fact that they didn't have meat and bread, whether it was the fact that they had too much meat and bread because it was there every night for dinner for 40 years. He provide, But just, just think about that for a moment. The grumbling and the complaining in the wilderness. You know, God provided meat and bread supernaturally for them for 40 years. Their shoes didn't wear out, the Bible tells us. Amazing. They've been brought out of slavery. They were free, yet they thought it was better back in slavery. They kept grumbling and complaining, and only two people from that generation actually got to go into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, because they had a different spirit. They, could, they, they sought God. They could see what he was doing. But we look at the people of Israel... And we shake our heads at times, don't we? We're like, they just, we're always grumbling and complaining. 
what is with that? Like, I mean, they saw God do amazing things. Like, we can kind of shake our heads and tut-tut them. But if we're really honest, and if I'm really honest, how often are we in that very same place ourselves? I don't like the sermon this morning. I don't like the songs. The preacher, my gifts aren't being recognized enough. I don't have this. I don't have this type of car. I don't have whatever it is, and it can be subtle, it can be less subtle in our lives, but it's almost like this natural human tendency, isn't it? To if we look hard enough, there's always going to be something that we can grumble and complain about. And when we do that, what happens? We become discontent. The focus becomes on what we don't have, and ultimately we put me, ourselves, in the center of the equation, thinking that it's about my needs, wants, and preferences, and desires. And Jesus actually models to us another way. And it's very easy for the theme of our lives to not be all about Jesus when grumbling and complaining starts to become commonplace. It's a hindrance to stepping fully into what God has for us. Like the grumblers in the Old Testament in Israel, they didn't get to enter the promised land. But there's something more at play here as well, I believe. Because the passage goes on to say, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. This world desperately needs children of God who will shine. This world desperately needs people of children of God whose lives are all about Jesus, who reflect Him, who point towards Him. And the theme of our lives being all about Jesus is not just for our sake and our benefit, so that we can step into our promised land or step into all that God has for us, our call and our anointing. That's not just it. It's not just so that we can live the lives that God's called us to. But it's actually for the sake of the world. And so the third point this morning, we are called to shine. We're called to work out. We're called to put aside grumbling and complaining, but we are called to shine. You know, there's a missionary endeavor associated with our lives as followers of Jesus. Whether or not we're called to the mission field, over the other side of the world or not, there is a missionary call on each and every one of us because we've said yes to Jesus. It's clear here in the passage that in the midst of a crooked and de- twisted generation, in the midst of a dark world, we are called to shine as lights. And so as we read that, we see the why behind why we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, why we are called to draw on His empowering strength and presence to do that, why we are called to put aside grumbling and complaining, to have the theme of our lives all about Jesus, it's so that we can shine ever brighter in a dark and broken world. And, you know, a light doesn't just wait until it's placed in a position of prominence to shine, does it? It doesn't wait till it's in a palace or penthouse or somewhere prominent to shine. It just shines wherever it is to light up the darkness. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says... You know, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, these good works or good deeds aren't our efforts to try and prove to God that we're serious. There aren't our 
you know, effort and work as a means to try and earn his approval or acceptance, but rather they're an expression of the outworking of our faith in response to the one who saved us. And they are for his glory so that all can see who God is. You know, shining isn't to draw attention to ourselves. You know, light doesn't, when you turn it on, it doesn't say, hey, look at me, I'm shining. It just shines, doesn't it? It just shines and lights up the dark. If the theme of our lives is the wonder and the glory of who Jesus is, the way that we live, our attitude and our speech that flows from that will in fact cause us to shine. To be set apart in this dark world so that everything about our lives will point to, will highlight, will be all about and centered on one thing. That's Jesus. The heroes of the faith that I mentioned earlier. You know, the theme of their lives, time and time again, as, as you read through accounts of their life, their, their devotion, their humility, their unwavering passion for the Lord, their speech, their conduct, their prayer life, the way they lived out their salvation was all about pointing to and highlighting the one thing, Jesus. And so this morning, as we bring our service to a close, in light of who Jesus is, you know, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, in light of who he is, in light of all that he has done, let us actively pursue spiritual maturity. Let us not just, just dismiss that. Let us not actively pursue spiritual immaturity. Let us actively pursue spiritual maturity. The working out of our salvation. Allowing Him to work in us, but working out. Partnering with Him to ensure that this glorious salvation, that He saved us, that He's redeemed us, that that comes to full effect and completion in our lives. Let us actively pursue having the main thing, the main thing, having Jesus as the main thing in our lives. You know, it talks about, in, in Psalm 45 verse 1, it says that my heart is overflowing with a noble theme. And he goes on to write, the psalmist writes this, this psalm that's a messianic psalm. It points to Jesus. You know, there's no greater theme than Jesus, the Son of God. Let our hearts and our lives overflow with that noble theme of Jesus. Let that theme be Jesus. Would you stand this morning? We're going to pray. We've got a prayer team here who are ready and willing to just pray for any prayer needs, whether that's a physical need like healing, whether that's an emotional need, whatever it might be, I just encourage you come and receive prayer this morning but you might be in that place today where perhaps there have been some things as we've opened up the scriptures that the Lord's just been highlighting whether it's that you know working out your salvation not as a means of works and effort and striving to somehow be saved or earn God's approval but perhaps there are areas of your life where you've just given up on or you know, well, I'm not, not going to bother. This morning, I encourage you to come and just do business with God. might be that grumbling and complaining needs to be something you bring before the Lord.
It might be that you just desire that your life would shine and point people towards Jesus. Whatever it might be, you know, there's an opportunity for prayer this morning. Lord, as we bring our service to a close, Lord, I just pray that we would go from here, Lord, with a real awareness of your presence. Lord, I I just thank you that your word encourages, nourishes, but it also challenges and convicts, Lord, where we need that, God. And I just pray, Lord, that um, as we go from here, we wouldn't just have heard your word and forget about it, Lord, but that through the power of your spirit, we would grab hold of it and seek to apply it to our lives and live that out, Lord. May we be a people for whom the theme of our lives is all about you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you're at work in us, Lord, willing and helping us to work according to your good pleasure. Thank you for your enabling power, Lord. But I pray that we would be a people, Lord, who actively pursue spiritual maturity, Lord, growing in our knowledge of you, becoming more like you, Lord, so that we can reflect you and point people towards you, Lord. I just bless each person here this week. Fresh fire in their hearts, encouragement, a fresh sense of hope, and purpose and perspective, Lord, but a real uh, stirring, Lord, for each of us to live out our salvation with reverence, with humility, relying upon your grace and your strength, I pray. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you that you've been here with us this morning. We just honor you and love you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.